Welcome to the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. It's March 11, 2013, and this is episode 363. Today I'm joined again by David Dusherman to discuss the business of photography, particularly with regards to transitioning to full-time photographer and the sort of things that you should seriously think about before taking the plunge. Before we jump into that, I'd just like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and now an online store. Check out their new commerce solution so that you can start selling stuff immediately. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com mbp and use our offer code mbp3. More about Squarespace later, but for now, please enjoy our conversation with David Dusherman. Welcome to the Martin Bailey and David Dusherman Photography Podcast. This is uh, where it kind of seems as though we're partnering at the moment. This is going to be the second episode in a row that I've recorded with David, but this is great. I, I appreciate you being on the show again, David. So welcome back. Thanks, Martin. You know, I'm a little, I'm a, I'm a little upset that you didn't do our theme song. There we go. <laughs> I, I've, now I feel at home. Let's, let's do this thing. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> what I wanted to do today, you know, a lot of people, I, I've touched on the business side of photography a number of times, but people obviously can never get enough of that. And when I've got an opportunity to talk, talk with someone that actually wrote one of the best books on doing photography as a profession, I uh, I figured it would be great if we could do this. And we started off, you know, when we were traveling together in, in Nagano and Hokkaido, we had a few conversations about the business side of photography. And so I thought we'd just, uh, you know, have a chat about that today and see what see what we can pull out of our um, hats, I probably should say. Well, well done on that. <laughs> so uh, let's see. You know, I think one of the biggest things that a lot of people, I was talking with a guy on Google Plus recently, great guy, and, you know, really uh, is often very supportive of, of what I do. Um, but we, we got to talking about the, you know, the business side of photography a little bit. And he did he'd not realize that I'd only been doing this full time for just under three years now. Um, but I, I basically went on to talk about the fact that, you know, I'd been laying foundations for a long time. I've been doing photography for a, a long time. I've been uh, creating a brand uh, for probably 10 years now. And so for me, although I'm, it's, it's only been a couple of years that I've really been trying to keep a roof over my head with this stuff, it's, it's a long, there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. So, you know, I mean, I guess, first of all, uh, we probably could just talk about the fact that, you know, if you want to do this, it's, you know, you're going to expect to, to do a lot of work. I think, you, well, you're absolutely right. I, there are a lot of people, I think, that, um, that mistake the idea of, you know, I, I mean, I, I often use the phrase to the point where everyone in my life is sick of it, where they, you know, say, how are you doing? And I say, I'm living the dream and they roll their eyes. And, um, but I, th I think there's this mistaken assumption that to, you know, to quote, live the dream and to be a working artist, to, to make a living at the thing you love is some kind of, um, freedom from work. When in fact, you know, someone once said to me being, 
being self-employed is working 80 hours a week for yourself. So you don't have to work 40 hours a week for someone else. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I, it really summed it up very well because I feel like I've never worked so hard in my life. Absolutely. Um, the, the difference, of course, and you and I talked about this and, you know, whether we pick up this thread now or later in the conversation, I, I don't know, but you know, the difference is, is between whether it's, whether it's work or whether it's a job. And, and I think that, I mean, like I said, I've never worked so hard in my life, but I like work. I mean, mm. I, there's nothing worse for me than being bored. Yeah. I, I just can't stand being bored. And when I work, I mean, for me, work is the things that some people at the end of their job go home and play at. Mm. For me, I, it is 24-7 me doing my work. And it's not just the idea of work as in hard work, which it certainly is, but it is my life's work. It is something that I feel that I will be doing, you know, for most of my life. I've been photographing for most of my life. And, and so the idea that we can live our dream, that living the dream is this, you know, freedom from work, I don't think is the case. Certainly it's a freedom from a job yeah. uh, in the sense that you're working for someone else with someone else's agenda and priorities and making them their money. But uh, for anyone that just looks at you, you know, tromping all over Japan with a bunch of friends making photographs and thinking, oh my gosh, you know, that's, that's living the dream because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have a real job. Well, you don't, but you're sure working hard. Mm. And that's the foundation for any of this conversation is that there are foundations that have been laid long before you even start working hard. You know, people, people will come to me and say, Hey, I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, write and, and publish an ebook. Um, it must be pretty easy. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, it's just, you use word, you write the thing, you put it into InDesign, you put some pictures up and distill it to a PDF. The hard part is 10 years of building a platform. So you have an audience that sees value in these things and will put some money on the line to, to, to get a copy. Mm. You, you cannot just build an ebook, throw it up on the web and expect that everyone's going to pour in and spend however much you're charging for it to buy this thing. It mm. takes a long time to build an audience. It takes a long time, whether it's a, that's an audience in the sense of your teaching or, or whether it's, it's a market where you're providing, you know, assignment work for a certain demographic. Building that, uh, that audience, that market takes a long time and it takes – it takes knowing a little bit what you're doing and making some, some right moves. Otherwise it just takes a lot longer. Absolutely. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things, one of my points with was that, uh, you know, I, I literally, I, I built a website some uh, 10 years or so ago. I've been, I've had various websites over the years, uh, but then I started doing the podcast seven years ago. And for me, that was my main, the, my main marketing vehicle. I did it for, through the desire to share but I'd be a total liar if I didn't say if I didn't admit that the the ulterior motive really was to get eyes on my work, was to get people to know me, and it's people need to find a way of of building an audience. I think mm -hmm. that, that these days that's one of the most important things. Just being an amazing photographer, or even you know a mediocre photographer in some in some ways, um, just being good at what we do with the craft of photography is not often going to be enough to be successful at this. So, you know, you have to do things like like a blog. You know, if you, if you can blog and, and have something interesting to say, people will hopefully start to find that. But you've also got to find lots of different ways to get it out there. You've 
you've got to have it's like uh, I have one of those little itemized Google um, when when you hit when you you know when you search on Google and you find my, my websites generally I get those little uh, four or six itemized sort of sub uh, domains that come up and people ask have often asked how do you do that and the main thing really is that, like all of the SEO the search engine optimization all of that. I'm lucky that I've got a bit of a, a technical background, so I I make sure that I have keywords on all of my pages, but also it's just hard work and getting out there, um, interviews with people, um, generally hand, ends up with a link from that person's website back to yours, so get noticed, start to get people linking back to you. There's all sorts of various things on the technical side, to to actually get noticed, but you know the old if you build it they will come is is really it's just a, a big fallacy. You've got to put a lot of work into actually building that audience before people will even start to notice you. Yeah, and they they will come, assuming if what you build, you know, assuming it's not total crap. Yeah. Um, you know, if if you understand your and here's here's the thing I think people forget is they they go into business or you know whatever, and and their thought is okay, what does the market want? Mm. Um, and that's that's good. It's a good question. I think it's poorly phrased. I think the first thing you have to ask is, what do I want? Like, mm. what do I love? And frankly, what can I? Because the answer to that, what do I want, is the thing that you will produce with the most passion, Absolutely. with the greatest consistency. And as a, anyone's brand is the core of who they are, you need to create stuff that comes from that core. It's not some kind of side. You know, if I went into a business doing macrame owls. I, I would probably not do very well because I just don't give a damn about macrame owls, but I know what I love. And that's my first question. What do I want to do? I have a very binary decision-making process, and I learned this from this guy named Derek Sivers who um, started a company called CD Baby. And I read his book, and he has this binary decision-making process that I use even in my editing, and it's just – he calls it hell yes or no. Mm. And I I don't do things that I feel like, yeah, I guess, you know, maybe uh, in terms of my business, I will do something that's a hell yes or a no. Yeah. I'm not going to waste my time with that gray stuff in the middle because I have too much stuff to do. I want to do stuff that's exciting. And then I want to ask the question, how can I serve my audience? Yeah. How can I find an audience that I can serve might be sort of a, an in-between question there. But how can I serve my audience? I'm My point, what I'm trying to do is not flog ebooks or prints or anything because I, I don't want to try to sell anything to anyone. I want to create something that will be high value to people and then let them know it's there and then just keep creating. And it's this, we talked about this earlier, this create and share cycle. You create something of quality and you have a, an audience that, that likes that. Not everyone will. You can't create something that just everyone is going to buy, which is why I you know, when I do counseling, counseling sessions, or mentoring sessions with people about business, one of the things I'm encouraging them to do is not compete with the Craigslist and Walmart crowd. Mm. Because the, the minute you spread yourself that thin and try to be everything to everyone, you're going to create a product that's so watered down and so far from what you love and, and so far from what people will actually spend money on mm. that no one wins. You're not going to make a living doing $5 weddings, you know, competing mm. against the Craigslist crowd. And you're not even going to enjoy it. And the people for whom you're doing they're not getting value. They're not getting your best. They're not even getting your most mediocre. They're just getting crap. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think in terms of when you start out asking yourself, what do I love like if – here's a great resource. If anyone out there is listening and, and wants to dive a little deeper, there's a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk and he wrote I, – I don't know if you and I talked about this, Martin. He wrote a book called Crush It yeah. and 
Gary's kind of one of these really, and I say this totally with all the the love I can have for someone I've never met. Uh, He's one of these really obnoxious, outspoken guys from like Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Um, And he grew up doing basically in his family's liquor business. Uh, Legitimate, not some, you know, off the back of the truck kind of thing. And they had this, they had this store and, and he worked there and, you know, while all his buddies were, you know, out doing stuff, he was just working at the store, but he developed a passion for wine. And he, when the internet came up, he kind of figured, you know what, I'm not much of a writer, but I could do a video blog. Mm -hmm. And he did this video blog, uh, wine library. And, you know, like I said, he's kind of, he's kind of outspoken. He's a little, I mean, especially for the wine demographic, He's not your usual kind of guy. I mean, he talks about wine and instead of saying, oh, this has, uh, you know, notes of blackberry. And he's like, this tastes like, this kind of tastes like dirty socks, you know. And he's got he's got a New York Jets spit bucket and he's very irreverent, but he knows his stuff and he's really passionate about yeah, it. Yeah. And, and one of the things he says in Crush It, which is about exactly what we're talking about, he says, you know, there is an audience for literally everything. Mm. And asking yourself, well, what does the market want? Well, which market? It's better to start with the question, what do I want? Because then you'll be doing work you love. Yeah. You'll be talking about things you love. And if you can harness that passion, there will be people that are interested. If you started a blog about kittens and rainbows on the internet, mm. you'd be a millionaire if you did it right. Because we have sh- we have seen through the magical power of Flickr how much people like pictures of kittens. Mm. If I sat down and said, what does the market want? I would look at that information and go, oh, God, it, it wants pictures of kittens. I can't mm. do this. I just Shoot me now. Mm. But someone out there wants to do a blog about, you know, kittens did and, you know, had started the whole I can has cheeseburger thing and is – I don't know what the stats are, but they're making a plenty of money. Thank you very much. And And I'm guessing they like that kind of thing, whether it's kittens or maybe it's just, you know – kitten comedy. I don't know. Maybe it's more niche than that. But whatever it is that you really love, you find a, you find a corner to stake, you know, put your microphone and you start talking about it, whether that's through your blog or your photograph. Some people are saying, well, I can't do a blog, Martin. I I don't have anything to say. I don't have, I I don't want to do a video blog or an audio blog. Just use your photographs. And if you have nothing interesting to photograph, put your camera down and go do something else. Mm. You, if you're listening to this podcast, you have photographs. Do a photo blog. There are people that have got very successful photo blogs that don't say a word. Mm. They just put their photographs up. Maybe they have a caption. That's it. And you can develop an audience for that. And even if you don't want to be a so-called professional, if you don't want to make a living at this, as a creative person, the second part of our cycle is always, it's always create and share. Mm. And so if you want to share your work, then having an audience whether you ever think of it as a market or not isn't isn't relevant. Having an audience is extremely relevant because those are the people to whom you're going to share. And the more they like your stuff, the more they will share it with others and your circle grows and you have then a place where maybe one day you say, hey, you know what? I got this idea. Maybe I could teach about how I do these things or maybe I could sell a calendar of my work. Well, if you come up with this idea that I'm just going to sell a calendar and, and you've got 12 followers, mm. you're going to sell precisely three calendars. Mm. Um and write a thank you card to your mom for buying them all. And then <laughs> – but if if you have an audience that loves your work and then you, you know, throw out the idea, hey, you know what? I've been thinking about doing a calendar. 
when the idea comes to you, you'll already have this, you know, this market, even though you never thought of that, that way. I don't think market's a bad word. Mm. Anyway, I've, I've gone on completely at length, but I'm, I'm so passionate about this stuff because I think when photographers start thinking about business, you know, they kind of look and go, well, how am I meant to do this? There is no meant to. There's mm. no meant to in art. There's no meant to in business. You, you do it the way you're uniquely equipped and motivated to do it. And I think the minute we sort of say, oh, well, this guy's done it this way. This guy's done it this way. It's like someone said to Bill Gates, you know, how can I, how can I make a, a million dollars? And um, I'm misquoting, but basically he said, well, well, don't, you know, don't do it the way I did it because that money's already been made. Yeah. You know, if, if you want to go out and really make a, a dent and make a lot of money and do it where other people aren't. Mm. I mean, do it, do it where you, just you are being you. You don't have to worry about competition. You don't have to worry about, cause you're just doing your thing mm. and people will, will naturally gravitate to that. But it begins with understanding what you want it to do and how you can serve them what they want, not just, you know, throwing crap out and hoping something sticks. Yeah. Yeah. It's all so true. I'm, I'm, I know that when I started the podcast, I, I did it because I, I love photography and I wanted to share about photography. And like I say, I mean, I'd obviously at the time, my, my biggest desire at that time was to get people to look at my photography. And I figured that it would be a, a good way to, to, uh, you know, to attract an audience. But as you say, I mean, I never dreamt at the, initially that that would start to, to work, work its way into actually becoming a business. And I, I, I remember when I first started talking about doing the tours, the first, the first thing, actually the first thing was selling prints. I started to sell prints relatively early on. Um, don't make a million bucks on that, but you know, it, it's, it's one revenue stream. And then I started to talk about the tours and this was six years ago now. And I was pretty amazed that we were able to get enough people together to, to make the first tour possible. And now it's it's a major part of my business. You know, I've got a a whole bunch of stuff that I'm into that we'll talk about. But starting off doing something that you love and then allowing that to develop is is just so important. And I, I've uh, I think I've, I listened to the audio book of Crush It, and uh, that's you know I couldn't agree more. Great book to listen to or to read, and finding stuff that you want to do initially like you say, you'll, you'll always do it with much more passion. Um, so, you know, I, I started doing this, the, the, uh, the blog, a lot, you know, alongside the podcast and things started to pick up and I'd got a bit of an audience, but there's people are also very, I've learned over the years that people are very quick with their mouths and not quite as quick with their wallets. And so, you know, just, if you build an audience, even if you think you've got a plenty of people out there, Please take it a very serious, long, hard, um, you know, th think pr thought process about whether or not you're going to jack in a day job and uh, and start to do this full time because you may you may feel as though you've already got you've already started to build an audience, but you'd be surprised at how many people how many of that that audience will actually put their hands in the pockets to request you to do something for them or buy something from you. So. I mean, yeah, there's, I, you know what, there's a, just on that point, Martin, there's a really good metric that I think Chris Anderson, uh, the editor of Wired Magazine and author of books like Free and The Long Tail, he came up with, I think it was him, uh, and it's called the 1K follower theory. Have you heard of the 1K I, theory? I have, yeah. 
So, so the, for those that haven't, it's this idea, and, and the reason I mention it is because it, I, I think it's a bit of a reality check, as well as, frankly, as giving hope. Uh, but the, the idea is if you have a thousand followers, you can make a living. And they define a thousand, uh, the, the fo- true followers is his term. And they define true followers by anyone that will spend $100 a year on your product or service. Yeah. And, and I think what's important is that, I mean, you do the math and you go, okay, there's a, there's a thousand people that have spent $100. Well, in one sense, that gives you hope because, okay, I just have to find a thousand people that will give me a hundred dollars. Don't mistake that for I just have to find a thousand people hmm. because there are easily a thousand people that will happily subscribe to your RSS feed or your blog. Yeah. Um, a small percentage of that, they, they might love your stuff. They might love your stuff so much that they will happily pirate it and take it for free. <laughs> they might like it so much that all they want is your blog, which you offer for free, and that's fine. But it's a smaller percentage of people that will take that additional thing that you give and see the value enough to part with their cash. And that doesn't mean they devalue what you do. It's just they may just not have enough in their wallet to spend on that particular thing. Mm. So so going in with an understanding of the metrics I think is very helpful. And you're absolutely right. You, you need that audience. But to go in just thinking – uh, oh, I've got a thousand people on my blog. Now's the time to release. Well, it might not be mm. because, I, and, and, you know, especially metrics on your blog stats, just because it says 5,000, you know, you had 5,000 page visits doesn't mean you have 5,000 people every day, new people looking at it. And, you know, at the end of the year, you go, wow, I had a million people. Well, no, you probably had 3,000 people um, who, you know, with some regularity, regularity visited your blog throughout the year. Yeah. And, and just being maybe a little grounded when it comes to these numbers and being kind of conservative, I think is very helpful. Yeah. So, so what, what I was, um, I was going to go on there to say that, you know, that if it's all very, I, I have heard of the 1k follower theory and I, I did you say Chris Anderson? Well, yeah, I yeah. believe, I believe it's Chris Anderson that came I'll, up with it. I'll look, I'll look that up and, um, and put a link in the show notes, but, um, yeah, I've, I've heard of that, and through I don't think it was directly from from Chris Anderson, but I, I've certainly heard of it. What I was going to say was that the um, the best thing to do is to start to test the waters. Unless you know you've got something really solid that you you are like one hundred percent sure, which is probably never going to happen, uh, that is going to sell. You know, you, you really want to start to test waters first. If you've got a decent job that is putting money on money in the bank and and food on the plate, roof over your head, then while you've still got that, that's the safest time to test the waters and just see if the stuff that you're doing flies. Start to build that audience up. Um, I think there, there probably would be nothing more scary than to get to a point where you say, okay, I really love photography. I'm going to try to make this my my life and then throw in whatever you're doing and then try to build something up. You know, that Me having seven years worth of podcast, well, five years at the time, of podcasts behind me and and a decent audience. I mean, each one of you that's listening to this now is part of this. Um, but it doesn't mean that, like like David was just saying, you know, that it doesn't mean that every one of you wants or can afford or you know to to help out in a a monetary sense. So you know that you really need to <clears throat> excuse me. You really need to to start to test the waters and see. If what you're thinking of, if what you have to offer is something that people are willing to pay for or to for you to monetize in some other way. Mm. 
And at that very appropriate point in the podcast, I'd like to jump in and remind you that this episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, and now an online store. Squarespace introduced a new commerce solution that allows you to instantly create and store and start selling products. Integrated to work with every Squarespace template, it allows for both sales of physical and digital goods. For example, you can sell music CDs or MP3s or hardcover books, ebooks, and of course, you can sell prints of your photography if that's what you want to do. There's a fast merchant account setup so that you can accept payments right away with credit or debit cards. A single interface for order management, tracking orders and providing customer email updates, printing shipping labels and adding coupons. Squarespace's commerce is included with a business plan subscription which starts at $24 per month when you sign up for a year or $30 for the monthly plan. Squarespace gives you and your website users the best mobile experience. They've developed templates with mobile-ready responsive designs, which means your site automatically restructures to look great on any device, a smartphone, tablet or computer. And of course, this means that you get a mobile-ready store with the new commerce solution. Squarespace is fast and easy to use. They have beautiful templates with 100% drag-and-drop functionality. Squarespace gives you better social media integration, automatically importing, syncing and publishing to and from social media with just a few clicks, dynamically refreshing your site content and raising awareness in your social circles. Squarespace is exceptionally well designed, with an award-winning design team and user experience experts. Each template has hundreds of customization options available to change the grid layout, colours and over 300 fonts and more. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform integrating all of your website needs, domains, design, development, commerce, hosting and 24-7 customer support. For a free trial, go to squarespace.com mbp and sign up for a free account. No credit card is needed, just try it out and start building your website. Then if you decide to purchase it, use the code MBP3 and get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. And that includes monthly and annual plans, so you'll obviously make more of a saving if you go for an annual plan over monthly. And don't forget about free domain registrations for annual plan customer subscriptions. So that's squarespace.com slash mbp and use the offer code mbp3 squarespace have everything you need to create an exceptional website and now back to our conversation with david Ducheman. yeah so i mean it's like with, with me with the with the tours i don't expect every person that listens to this podcast to to come on a tour but there is a, there's a small percentage that would that want to and when that happens it makes it all worthwhile the, the the occasional print sale, anything that I do that starts to fly, basically all comes from the you know from what I've what I've managed to build up, 
Um, but also, you know, once once you get to a point where you can start to get some traction, then you need to really build on that. And I, mm. I guess I what I'm thinking now is, you know, I I did all of this, I got started, but then at some point you were kind enough, for example, to say, hey, how'd you like to write an ebook? Or that there's the photograph mag- magazine that I'm writing for now. All of this helps me to build a larger audience, which in turn possibly gets more people on tours, possibly sells more prints. You know, it all leads to to the various revenue streams that we that we have. It doesn't mean that I need I need a dollar from every person that knows my name. It just means that the, I've got a more chance of getting getting something out of the the audience that I'm building. And even if it's just a you know. Oh yeah, I I haven't personally been with on one of Martin's tours, but if you're thinking of going to Japan or wherever or Iceland, you know maybe maybe check this guy's site up. There's all of this stuff that happens in the background through the audience that we've built up. Mm. So yeah, yeah, yeah I, I think it's true. I, there's there's two things that immediately jumped to mind. One, you mentioned something that that I think is really important, but I think begs a question. You know, you said you know if you really love photography and you want to you know you want to make a living at it, um. Be careful that I think we need to be careful that we don't. And, and by that, I mean, you know, the person that's thinking that mm. doesn't mistake running a photography business for doing photography. Mm. And there, there's another good book out called The E-Myth. And I think there's a, a later edition called The E-Myth Revisited or something. But mm. that basically the E-Myth, the E stands for entrepreneur. And the idea is, you know, someone, some woman is really good at baking pies. And someone says, oh my gosh, these pies are so good. You should run a bakery. And she gets to thinking, yeah, I love baking. I love making pies. Um, I should start a bakery. Well, running a bakery is not the same thing as baking pies. Right. And, and I think that for some, not understanding that difference could lead to, I really love photography. I'm going to do it for a living. When mm-hmm. you realize, you know, too late that I spend my days doing everything unrelated to photography. Absolutely. So the question is, do you love photography and blogging and accounting and marketing and reading books about branding and, you know, meeting with your lawyer and, you know, yada, 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 all the way mm. down the line. It, it really is a question of do you like photography and running a business? And not everyone wants to do that. If you really love photography and that's all you want to do, you really truly might be better served working your day job, mm. assuming you like it and it's not sucking your soul out of you. Um, because then, I mean, what spare money you have, go. you can spend it on a camera or a lens. Yeah. Professional working photographers, what spare money they have goes into buying stupid things like new business cards or um, paying for a lawyer or an accountant or, you know, an assistant a couple days a week to work on something for you. It, it becomes a completely different ballgame. And so I think that's one important distinction. I think the other two maybe should have prefaced all of this. Is some people are very uncomfortable talking about money. And, and I think that right at the beginning of this whole thing, you need to have a conversation with yourself about your relationship to money. Mm-hmm. Because I think especially in sort of the, the Protestant work ethic world, you know, that, I mean, many, at least Westerners have kind of grown up with the effects of this, whether you grew up. I mean, the religiosity of it is is irrelevant. The point is that there is this underlying idea that, you know, you work really hard and money's not, money's kind of the root of all evil. Well, one, it's the love of money that's the root of all evil if you're going to be very picky about, you know, about your Bible. Um, But two, you know, if if you, you know, some there are some people that are going to be sitting here going, ah, I really, I just don't want to spend my time thinking about and talking about money. But listen, if you think you're thinking about and talking about money when you're making it, um, 
you should think about how much more time you're going to spend thinking and talking about it when you're, you're not making it. Mm-hmm. Because to, to, I guess what the point I'm getting to is when you're in business, money matters. Mm-hmm. And it, it, money can be a, you know, people, people say, oh, money's not important to me. You know, I'd rather do this or do that or, you know, help the poor. I'm like, well, what do you, what do you think we're, we help the poor with? I mean, yes, with our time and yes, with our efforts. But um, all these people that are raising money are raising money from people that are making money is important. It changes things. It can be used for great good. And I think in the context of our art, we sort of, we don't really want to talk about it. Well, how much do you charge for this painting? Well, I don't know. How much do you, do you want to charge for this photographic print? Well, I don't know. Why don't you name a price? Because we're uncomfortable giving mm. a price. But the fact is we need to get comfortable as quickly as possible talking about money. It doesn't mean we have to be greedy, selfish bastards about it. You can give away as much of your money as you want. But you've got to be okay with talking about it. You've got to be okay with quoting a client. And so this is, again, this comes back to the whole idea of, you know, if you love photography, some people I think will use their love of photography. They don't want to prostitute themselves. They don't want to whore themselves out. And they, well, okay, but you can sell your work. And people, you know, I have bought art before, not, you know, not like an art buyer, but I have bought, you know, a little thing here and there or a print or a photograph. And the it's not how much I spent on it that that is even a consideration. It's what I get out of it. It's how much pleasure I get out of it. Mm. What, and if I spend $500 on a print that I think is just unbelievable and I have that $500 to spend, mm. I, I'm not going back and thinking, ah, oh, that photographer, boy, he's really, he's really, you know, greedy and materialistic and oh, his money. Well, of course the photographer's charging money. I mean, if you break down, Martin, what it takes for us to make a living and buy our gear mm. and put a roof over our heads, and then you think, okay, well, maybe all year I'm going to sell 12 prints. If that was only your only business activity, how much would each of those prints have to be? It'd have to be a lot of money. Mm. And at the end of the day, it's really, well, do you want to buy it or don't you? Mm. It's not about I'm a greedy bastard, so I'm charging $600 for a print. Yeah. If you want to buy it for 600 this is how much. And if, if you spend that much money and it's worth it to you, you will get value out of it. Otherwise, right. you wouldn't buy it. So I just think, and maybe it's tangential, but I think, in concert with all of this stuff about, I love photography. We need to be careful that when we go into business, that we don't remain such a purist about our love for photography that, oh, I don't really want to talk about the money. Look, if you want to go bankrupt in a year or two years, Mm. uh, knock yourself out. But that's just irresponsibility. And there's plenty of greedy people that go bankrupt. There's plenty of ignorant people that go bankrupt. None of, and there's, there's plenty of really generous, amazing people for whom money is not the first priority, not even remotely, but they're good business people. They're doing what they love and they're keeping a, a roof over their heads. So if you're listening to this and you're struggling with your relationship with money, I just strongly encourage you to kind of spend some time thinking this through, not in terms of, you know, what other people, what their expectations of are for you, um, but just simply what, what money you need to earn and can you do that unashamedly? Mm. You know, because we just, for some reason, we just don't want to talk about money. And and you need to learn about it. I mean, people need to go and read a book about personal finance. Never mind a book about, you know, business finance. You need to figure out how to make this work long term. And if you're not saving, if you're not paying yourself first, if you don't understand the basic principles of personal finance, mm. you can't possibly run a business. Because you have to run a business the same way you run your personal finances. You have to you know, pay yourself first. You have to put away for taxes. And, and I know people that are perpetually in debt to the tax man. Mm-hmm. 
they're perpetually on the edge of a bankruptcy. Their credit cards are run up to the limit. And it's because they haven't sat down and thought through this money stuff. And yeah. I think it's really, really important, you know, and, and if, if your principles keep you from talking about money, it's your principles that will put you in a place where all you can think about is money mm. because your credit creditors are calling and the bankruptcy is about to happen and the tax man wants his peace. You will get to a point where that's all you can think about. So if you really want to live balanced, if you want to live and money isn't the primary thing on your mind, then have a, have a good relationship with it because you either control money or it controls you. And I think knowledge will help that. So read some books on personal finance. That's the end of my sermon. <laughs> I'm, I'm done now. I'm no, done. You, you no, well, it's, uh, you know, try, I'm not going to try to go back to every point you made there, but it's all incredibly valuable. And, you know, the, I, one thing that I, well, a couple of things that I want to add, um, you know, basically I, I couldn't agree more in, in the pricing stuff. It's very difficult to price. I get asked to how to price stuff all the time. Um, but one of the things that I learned earlier on, early on was that you know you need to sit down and figure out how much it costs you to just live each year and and this includes everything your house your car payment your gear everything that you have to spend money on insurance put it all into a spreadsheet make it as as elaborate as you possible not elaborate for the sake of of making it elaborate but you know put in as much as you can think of figure out roughly how much it co- it costs you to to operate a year every year and then you just need literally need to divide that by the amount of days that you can work and how much and that basically gives you a day rate if you're going to be a photographer working for a, you know a paycheck you need to know how much to charge for each day that you can expect to work that year and you need to leave you can't just divide it by you know I don't know 300 assuming holidays you have to divide it by the number of days that you literally will be taking a paycheck um, and that that can often be three, maybe four days a week. It might be less. It might be like David just said. You you might sell ten prints a year. You're going to have to make a hell of a lot of money for those prints if you want. If that's all you want to do, um, but yeah. So pricing is very important. And the other thing that you touched on that I've I've really tried to live by is is don't undercut yourself. If you try to un- undercut other people, it's it's a losing game. But if you personally are not happy with the amount that you're charging for any task, a, a print, a, a wedding, a, anything that you do, if you start to charge less than you feel happy about doing that job for, you're not going to do your best work. You're going you're gonna to end up um, shortchanging yourself and your customers because you don't, you, you think, yeah, cheapskate, you're only giving me a couple hundred dollars for doing this. You know, if, if that's the case, you need to, you need to try to charge more. And if you can't get more, walk away from that job until and continue to work on the things that will will put you in a position to be able to get the amount of money that you want to be happy to work for. Uh, you know, there's nothing worse than working for cheap. And mm. and and like I say, I mean, you're going to end up giving people uh, the the quality proposition is going to be much less because you're you're not going to give it everything. Um, the only time that I would say that doing stuff. Uh, you know, even if you're happy to do it for cheap, is when there's some of the value. It's, the value in things that we do is not always in the paycheck. It can sometimes be, um, you know, you might do some a blog post for someone that's totally free, and it. But the reason you'll do that is because it could be, I don't know, it could be a 
someone really, really, it could be David, you know, it could be anyone that can get your name in front of a lot of people's eyes. And then doing something for free is, is not always a bad thing because it's got so much value in other senses. So it's not always about the money, but for, you know, if really one of the most important things that I, I can stress in, in relation to this is, you know, make sure that you get some value, whether it's financial and or in some other way, you've got to be happy about what you're doing or you're never going to do your best work. Yeah. You know, I, when I, um, and the reason I harp so hard on this, Martin, is because I did go bankrupt seven years ago mm. and it was uh, not my best activity ever. Um, but I learned a lot from it. And when I applied for bankruptcy, one of the things they make you do is fill out a, an awful lot of forms and make you feel really foolish about your decisions in the past. Mm. And one of the questions they asked was reason for bankruptcy. And because I felt that I needed to be honest, my, rep my reply was optimism. <laughs> and uh, she took the form away and made me fill something else out and said, how about we call it seasonality of work? And I said, okay, well, if that's what you want to put, then that's fine. Um, ultimately, it was optimism because I did not go in with a full picture of, as you said, your, you know, what does it truly cost? I kind of felt like if I just stuck my head in the sand and put my fingers in my ear and went, la, 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 I can't hear you, that everything would just, you know, all of that menacing stuff would go away. But, you know, my two favorite sermons are don't go into debt. Don't like seriously don't use that credit card unless you, if you put – I mean I use my credit card tons now. Mm. But when I buy a new camera and put whatever, $5,000 on my credit card, it's mm. because $5,000 is sitting on my savings account and I immediately transfer it. And the only yeah. reason I use the credit card is because I get purchase and loss protection and I get fantastic air miles enough that I can go to some really nice places a couple times a year. Mm. Use your credit card really wisely. Don't carry a balance. No yeah. kidding. You will never recover from these 20% interest rates. Right. And you just won't. And then the other thing is save. You've mm -hmm. got to, as a, as a matter of principle, if you want to grow your money, you know, and I won't use the, you know, the wealth word, but if you want to, if you, anything you read about personal wealth management will say you've got to save 10%. You know, you, you've got to pay yourself and the first piece of gold is yours. you got to put it in the bank. you got to do something with it. And then, because that's not all, you've got to save for your um, for your taxes. You've mm -hmm. got to save for anything that you want in the future. You know, don't look to your line of credit. Start saving. And I'm the worst person to ask about this kind of stuff. I mean, I just my parents, I, this is the guy, like Martin, when I was a kid, I had a savings account. And my mother, I, I was so irresponsible with it. My mother took my bank book away back when we had bank books. Mm. And I, I discovered through some miracle that I could go into the bank without my bank book and just make a, they called it a no book withdrawal. And my mother was furious when mm. she found out. I mean, what did I think I was getting away with? She went in with the book to, you know, deposit my allowance and suddenly there was nothing in there. Mm. Um, I'm, I was terrible at saving. I never learned, but now I am, it is the first thing I do um, without exception. When money comes in, I take my piece for savings and I, I put a piece of corporate savings and against the day when, you know, all my computers blow up or I suddenly need to do a $10,000 web redesign or something. Mm. And I do personal savings and part of the corporate savings is also taxation. Mm. I make sure that when the tax man comes, yeah, it's stressful. No, I don't want to pay the tax man all that money. But listen, if you can put enough away to pay the tax man, you're also in a position when in Canada we call it RRSPs in the U.S. It's like, I don't know, Roth funds or 401ks or whatever that, you know, you can save a certain amount and the government kind of takes that into consideration and puts it against your income. Mm. 
And so this year I asked my accountant, I said, look, what's it going to, what's it going to take? Like, what's my limit? What will the government allow me to put into one of these special accounts? And he told me, and I said, well, what does that mean for my taxation? He said, immediately you will, um, you will not have to pay. Like that'll take $11,000 off your, your taxation. Mm. $11,000 is a lot of money, Martin. Absolutely. And, and when I looked at that compared to what I would have to invest to get that return, I'm like, that's a 33% return in one year on my investment. You show me where you can make that in the stock market or anything else. So I've had my thinking all readjusted. And the only way I bring it up is because I think there's, there's books you can read and arm yourself with a little bit of knowledge. I know nothing about stocks or any of that stuff, but personal financial management, don't be stupid like I was because it will put you into bankruptcy. And then all of this talk about doing it for business, it'll just be a facade because really it's just a hobby that's going to bankrupt you. And that's that's not going to do anyone, including your family and you, any good. And, you know, I mean, there are other people that have gone through a similar route. And I think if you read the case studies in, in my book, Vision Mongers, you'll see some people being pretty honest about some of their financial stupidity. And so just, you know, can think of vision mongers, think of that a little bit as your how not to be a total financial moron book mm. and, and give it a read because there's some stuff there that will all, you can read all the branding books you want, but if you're totally stupid about your money, you'll be out of business faster than you can print a business card. Absolutely. And I, I mean, that make that leads me to another thought that, you know, if, if there are areas of your business that you're not confident doing yourself, then outsource it or get someone on on the books that that can help and for me the the first thing i did when i decided to create martin bailey photography kk which is like a it's a corporation here in japan is i went to see an uh, an accountant a a tax accountant and there was no way that i was going to understand the the intricacies of of creating a company in japan and running a company from the tax side i'm terrible with numbers and there's a lot of forms that, although I understand the language, I did not want to get into all of the forms that I needed to to actually set up a company. So I asked someone to do it for me, and it cost me a few thousand dollars here and there. Uh, but even now, uh, yeah, that was to set up the company. Even now, though, I I go and see my accountant every month while I'm while I'm around. Um, I have to put it off every so often. But basically, all of the 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 stuff that I do. Um, I, for example, the expenses, I input it all into a spreadsheet and I, I keep all of the all of the receipts, of, of course, and it's basically put into a spreadsheet that I then take to my accountant and I, I hand it all off to him. He has someone check it, make sure that all of the balance, balance sheets are all, all in order and we work together each month um, through the year and then at the end of my financial year, he prepares all of the tax forms. And he he knows all of the loopholes. You know, he saves me more money than than he costs me because of the loopholes and and maybe not even loopholes, just things that I'm totally unaware of. Um, and so you know, g- tie up with people that can help you to do this sort of stuff if you're not comfortable doing it yourself. If you've got a a background in tax accounting, then you know, knock yourself out, do it all yourself. But you know, it, it's really important to get stuff like that covered. And they can they can literally save you more money than than they'll cost you in a lot of cases. Yeah, that's that's true. And you know, there's another point springing off of that, and that's even in areas that are not specialty, like you know, law and and finances. Um, there are things that at a certain point, when you're just squeaked past the survival line and 
are out of debt and are paying yourself, there there are things that that you might be doing that mm. someone you could pay someone twenty five to fifty dollars an hour, and you think, oh, fifty dollars an hour. But listen, if that frees you up to do something that makes you three hundred dollars an hour that you couldn't do before because you had all this fifty dollar an hour drudgery, you right. just made two hundred and fifty dollars that you were not making before. And so the the moment you get to a point where you've got you're being held back from your principal business activities by all this drudgery, mm. and photographers generally you know, we need to be somewhere to make a paycheck. You should be out there making a paycheck, not sitting in front of your computer filing your numbers. I don't touch my numbers. You input your stuff into a spreadsheet, Martin. I input it into a file folder and I give it to someone to to input because I'm as bad as you are with numbers. I guarantee I'm worse (laughs) and I have no inclination to do it. And I can be writing a book while someone else is for whatever 50 bucks an hour inputting numbers and I can be financially it makes more sense but my life is not so long that I've got I want to look back and go man I sure love spending all that time sticking numbers into a spreadsheet some people like that I can't stand it and I want to do everything I can to put myself into a place where I can do my principal whether you look at as business activities or otherwise the stuff that is my life's work is not numbers it's something else and I think, I mean, that's that's an important point. And I, I'm not at the point yet where I can afford to do that. And I, I think that there's there's stages in in our businesses that uh, you know that people have to realize. And and if if you start out as a one man band, there's a lot of stuff that you have to do yourself. Um, but for sure, the 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 goal is to be able to get yourself in a place like like you just said, David, about right. you know that. Ideally, you don't want to be doing the mundane stuff. There, there are ways to get it done. I was talking with um, someone recently. I won't mention his name, but um, he told me about um, what was it? I'll probably need to start my browser to get this. Um, but it was basically a, a website where you can you can outsource uh, all sorts of tasks. Mm. Um, I, I'm probably going to draw a blank. I'll just have a quick look for it. Um, I, this is it. Let me just uh, let me just click this and see the name of the site, Elance. So, right. um, yeah, Elance is a place where you can go and you you basically submit a job and get people to work to do certain tasks. That I mean, I'm I'm literally thinking of having someone go in and create a blog post for the the, the three years or four years or so of podcasts that I don't have a blog post for, and I I'm was dreading sitting down it probably would take me about three weeks of full-on working um to get all of this done and i mentioned it to someone and he said well just go to elance you know you pay someone x amount an hour or or x amount per task and you can get that done so you don't necessarily need to be taking someone on as a full-time employee and that because that's a big commitment you need to be you know you need to be sure that you you're making um a, a a lot of maybe not a lot of money but you have to be making continuous revenue to be able to actually keep someone on the books so you know outsourcing this stuff my accountant he I, he gets $200 a month um and he gets a bigger paycheck on the months that he has to submit forms and stuff uh but anything you can do as david said you know just just um trying to figure out what you can outsource as you as you grow as a company will certainly free you up to do some of the other stuff that will that will hopefully make you more money. Yeah, and you know that's a that's a good place to jump off into a conversation about diversifying things and kind of putting, you know, putting your eggs into as many baskets as possible and uh, you know, it, people 
people talk often about multiple income streams and yeah. and I think initially photographers and a lot of artists kind of go well what in the world would that mean but I think it's extremely important and maybe for for someone out there multiple income streams is just having different clients in slightly different industries so that if one client goes belly up or the industry takes a major turn you've got three or four other irons in the fire and that's really what it's about it's about having irons in the fire enough that if one of those baskets of eggs gets kicked over mm. you've got three or four other baskets um, because you know we've all seen it's like diversifying your stock portfolio yeah. um, again not that I can speak to that with much authority but you'd be a fool just to put all your money in one stock because markets have a rhythm to them and they go up and down and we're as affected by that as as anyone else you know if you've if you're in the wedding industry there's a seasonality to it are you planning for that you know the off season S some people are and some people don't they get caught short every time there's an off season and then they go into debt they live off their line of credit and they're always living for, to the next season to pay off the one they just lived you should always be living the reverse make your money save it plan for these these kind of eventualities and I mean, you and I have had this conversation before too, Martin, about multiple income streams. You know, it's it's helped you as you continue to grow your primary business activities. It's taken some of the pressure off and allowed you to do some of these other things. Right, for sure. And I think a, a big part of that is is also the passive revenue. You know, that I uh, we touched on earlier about the you know you were kind enough to ask ask me to to write for Craft and Vision, but what that does is, of course, you know, there's there's an overhead there's a the, there's the the couple of weeks or so that it can take me to write a book um but if once that's done that then becomes passive revenue you know you you basically get a a relatively well, a pretty a pretty nice paycheck the first month when it goes out and that in in my mind pays for the time that you actually spent to wrote the book to write right. the book but then um after that it becomes passive income and that's golden for anyone trying to do, especially a creative lifestyle. When when you're working, um, you need time to be creative. You need time to grab your camera and go out and do personal projects and things like that. And if everything that you do has to be for a paycheck, that can be very constraining. And you know, a number of passive re revenue streams can really help. And and it's like comes back to the blog and the podcast. I have um, a number of affiliate. Uh, things going on and I'd love to be at a point where I don't have to do this but you know the, there are a number of affiliates uh, things that I'm into and they pay me a couple of hundred dollars a month here and there and that's all passive income that gives me the freedom to not have to worry uh, every month about how I'm going to pay the rent and although I'm I've still got a long way to go I'm I'm pretty confident that I'm going to get there but you know building not only uh, do a job and get a paycheck but also the passive side is really important yeah it's it's the notion that you don't have to be there to earn the money which you know you can only be in one place and what happens when suddenly you're you're kicked down with the flu for three weeks or or you you know i mean and you you've been in this situation you know as i have you know i you break your feet unexpectedly and suddenly you're literally off work i couldn't have photographed an assignment. I didn't photograph an assignment for two years. Mm. And and if my income had been dependent on me showing up, uh, not on crutches or crawling mm. uh, with my camera and photographing, I would have been completely out of an income. Now, fortunately, I didn't 
because, you know, I've taken care of things and been smart for the last number of years. And, you know, I didn't have any debt when this happened. And I have a very active sort of my business stream is entirely passive income. Mm. It allowed me that. But, you know, you get sick and you can't, God forbid, you can't do a workshop. At least you can survive. Mm. At least you can get through it. And I think people need to plan for um, for something, I mean, this, yes, it's nice that you could have multiple income streams, passive streams that kind of stack on top of each other and, and become maybe even a significant part of your income. But even if it's something, yeah. you know, to, to suddenly be, because, you know, we're also, if we're self doing this, we're self-employed and we probably don't have, you know, whatever fancy insurance is going to pay us our, you know, our salary. Cause mm. most of us don't really have a salary. We just take whatever is left at the end of the month. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think that passive stuff is really important. And you mentioned a couple of them. I mean, the affiliates, if you do it right and you do it with your ethics intact and don't try to sell everything to everyone, aff- people are grateful for affiliates. I mean, I would happily spend, if I knew you were putting links on your blog through to B&H, mm. I would happily click on that link. I'm still going to spend the same amount of money. Right. But if I know it can put something into your pocket, I do. We have an affiliate um, thing with uh, Craft and Vision with B&H. And every penny that B&H sends us as an affiliate money goes to um, goes to the BOMA project, which does work in, in Africa. Because it's like free money. I mean, yeah. people are going to buy this stuff anyway. They don't pay any more. And so, you know, we did this because B&H kind of they said, if you're going to work with us, you need to have an affiliate thing. And I was like, well, we don't want your money, so we'll send it to Africa. Yeah. But there are, there are, to be fair, we don't, I mean, we're gear is good, vision's better. We don't shill gear. We don't send people to B&H. But when there's something like a tripod or, you know, something that I, I think is good quality, I will mention it. You can, you can mention this stuff on your blog and you can make a significant income. I know people, I mean, I, I'll tell you right up front, one of the, the months that we did, and this was an aberration for sure, but we had an affiliate who early on in the pro- process, he had already had this huge audience and he's, you know, quite well known in, in circles and, um, and he did some affiliate stuff for us and we sold an amazing amount of books mm. and we wrote him a five figure check for mm. his affiliate fees. He didn't even write the books, yeah, yeah. you know, all he did was put up, I'm not exaggerating, one blog post. Yeah. And he made like, and I'm looking at this going, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> you know, he, I, I wrote all these books and my authors wrote all these books and I don't begrudge any of my affiliates that, you know, the money we send them because they're, they're our sales force and they do it well. But when you look at someone getting, you know, five figures from you and go, he just made one blog post. This seems a little <laughs> out of hand. Yeah. Um, I want to write that blog post. Mm. But you know, he did a very good job and it, the reason he could make it is because he's he's a trusted source to a huge audience that he's built over years. And that's and it, yeah. Exactly. But it starts somewhere. People say, well, I don't have that. Okay, but start building it yeah. and start developing a place where you can have some of those multiple income streams, those passive income streams where you're getting things like affiliate fees or stock photography is another great, I mean, great in the sense of the potential for it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know that a lot of people are making the same kind of living they used to. The model has changed and that's just life. But that is passive income. Those images are sitting on your hard drive anyway. Yeah. Is there a place that you can put them? Put your put your scruples aside. You know, I mean, if it if it's just your pride, you're like, ah, I don't want to get a buck an image. Look, it used to be that you could set up in your studio, and a client would pay you five hundred dollars to take a piece of pizza, mm-hmm. uh, take take a photograph of a piece of pizza. Now, you take the photograph of the piece of pizza the way you want 
without clients. You do it on your terms at three in the morning, however you want to do it. You make the photograph, you put it on, and you still make the $500 if it's a good enough photograph, $1 at a time. Yeah. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a huge advocate of the microstock model, and I, I don't do work in microstock, but it, it is a legitimate despite what everyone will say and all the hate mail you're going to get from me saying this, Martin, it is a, it is a business model and you're not supporting it by taking advantage of it. Mm. It's out there. It's already. And so if you want to pursue Microsoft, if that, that makes sense for you and you're comfortable with it, then that gives you the potential for a passive income stream. And there's other stock models. There's lots of ways, but again, don't go to the photographers and say, how should I do my business? Go and look at the world and say, how are, how are these software coders making their money? Mm. A lot of them are making it, yeah, they're freelancing, and, but they're doing it multiple income streams. They're developing iPad apps on the side and they're getting a few hundred to several thousand dollars a month just, just from selling a hobby-made iPad app on the Apple Store. Yeah. There's lots of ways to do it, but you've got to be creative. You know, in Vision Mongers, I said running a business it can be an act of creativity as much as making a photograph. And I really, truly believe that. And if you enjoy it, you can be a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, let's face it. I, you know, we are living the dream. This is a lot of fun. And even on the months where you're worried about making ends meet and you're not making the same amount of money, it's still a lot of fun. So if you're going to worry about not making a lot of money, you might as well be enjoying it while you're doing yeah, it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was really, that literally was the last thing that I've just written down as a note to finish on. You, I think you also mentioned it in the the foreword for Corwin's book, uh, Living the Dream. And you know, running a business is as creative as making the photographs. And you know, it, I think that that's probably one of the big the biggest takeaways that I think we should leave the listeners with here. That in that all of this, if you, I mean, we've touched on this already, but if you don't, um, if you want, if you just want to make photos, you know, just make the photos. Do support it, sustain it by some other job. But doing this as a business, you've got to really want to enjoy the the actual the you know the act of running a business. You'll be a business owner, and if that's, I mean, it, it's creative. You have to think about things. It's not just the taxes and stuff. You know, just thinking about what you're going to do, how you're going to develop that next revenue stream. Will it work? Will it flop? Yeah, all of it. It's all creative. It might not be creative in the sense of photography, but it's all something that you really need to wrap your head around. And to make it your work, your life's work, as David was saying earlier, is is really important. And and once you remove the job aspect and you you're you're doing something because you love doing it, in in a sense, you never work a day again. You know, you, you will work. But it, it'll be work that you love, like like your work, as in your photographs. It's it's just totally different from going off and doing a job. And I I feel as though, you know, that they, I've still got a ways to go, but I'm already living the dream. I know that that you certainly feel as though you are, David. So, you know. Oh, every day. I, you know, I I feel honesty. I feel like I feel like the luckiest guy on the planet, mm. and it's. You know, I, and it because, I, you know, that that old adage, the harder I work, the luckier I get, um, you know, but it has everything to do with the people that I've surrounded myself with. And, you know, at the end of the day, this isn't about money for me. I mean, the money facilitates it and I couldn't do it if I weren't actually earning. But, you know, my best friend is my business manager. And, you know, right now, um, you know, the woman I'm 
totally head over heels in love with is she, you know, she does our social media and I get to work with, we're just hiring a new graphic designer and, and all the people that I get to work with, I have a blast and, you know, I get to work with people like you and these authors from kind of all over the, the map. This is really, truly fun. And everything that we do, every new person that we, that we hire, not, we don't have employees either. All we have is freelancers, but every new person we bring on and work with as a partner, you know, we make a difference in their life and we get to do really super cool things and travel the world. And, it, you know, at the end of the day, we have, and forgive me for, I, this, this is another sermon. I'm going to make it really short, Martin, but you know <laughs> what? We honestly, we have one life to live and, and it's like people are you know, sort of take something I found somewhere an anonymous quote and put it into vision mongers but we're literally we're, we're tiptoeing through life just so cautious mm. as if we're going to get safely to death like what is the point yeah you know I, all kinds of I can't forgive me for saying it but all, all kinds of shit happens on the way to the grave mm. you you we are not guaranteed tomorrow you know it tomorrow the doctor calls and says we got to talk about your blood work and suddenly your life changes you went through it i've been through it um, I have lots of friends that, you know, suddenly they're fighting for cancer. And it, in light of that kind of possibility, is it really worth doing a job that sucks your soul dry? You know, there's lots of go work at Starbucks if you're sick of your corporate job. I mean, I'm not big on Starbucks. I think it is a corporate job. But look, hey, you're making coffee for people that need it. It's 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 like being a drug dealer only with benefits. <laughs> and, you know, because they, they at least you're going to be dealing with the public and with each other and you, you go find something that you love, but life is too short. You don't get a second crack at this, or at least not, you know, the way that I, I think life seems to work. You have one chance, not only to do the, to answer that question, what do I want? Like do everything you can to get what you want, but to make a difference in other people's lives and to contribute and to make something beautiful of your life. And, you know, why get stuck in something that you absolutely hate? So for if anyone's out there listening and, you know, you'll grow tired of my sermon in a second, so I'll wrap it up. But if you're listening and you're kind of on the on the fence about, you know, oh, should I or shouldn't I? You know what? Take a, take a first tentative step, but at least make it a bold tentative step if there can be such a thing. Like, you know, do this. Because you only get one crack at it. And if this is the one thing that you're going to regret not doing, do it. Try it. It's better to, you know, if you're going to fall off a bicycle, like seriously, fall off a six-foot unicycle. Like make a go of it. If you're going to fail, fail spectacularly. At least give everyone else something to talk about. Hmm. Don't – I just – so this is my – I'm calling bullshit on safety. There is no safety. If the only reason you're you're not branching out is because you're scared of kind of compromising your uh, security – there is no such thing as security that that corporate job you have that seems so safe now could be gone in a heartbeat. And, and I don't know, better to put your, all your eggs in at least a basket you're carrying mm. right now. If you're working a job that you hate and it's a corporate job, someone else is carrying all those eggs in their basket and they don't give a damn about your eggs. You're dispendable, yeah. expendable, dispensable, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, you know, I, I'm passionate about this stuff because I think, I think that it's, for me, it's the, the space in which I get to create and make a difference and enjoy the people that I'm with and uh, that I that I make enough money that I can, you know, contribute and make a difference with that is important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's being in a, it's being in a, in a restaurant with Martin Bailey singing karaoke on one of his trips. And, uh, you know, there's, there's really good stuff out there. And if you do it right, you, you can, 
you can do this kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to be stuck at it. So anyway, there's my sermon. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. And I keep saying that every time I finish the sermon. I'm done with that. Why? Well, <laughs> sermons. So. Yeah. No, you, you know, I mean, so much of that rings true because I, I remember, you know, like three years ago, I was I was getting rid of a job that was paying me very, very good money. And, and I knew from the start that I wasn't going to do this for the money, but I, I, I just, it wasn't exactly suck, sucking my soul dry, but it was certainly getting to the point where I knew that, and you touched on this as well, if I didn't do this now, it was going to be too late. And I didn't want to get to the end of this life in, I don't know, say 20 years at retirement and say, yeah, well, you know what, I've, I'm, I've made enough money, I'm, I'm happy, but I, I really would have loved to have, have done photography and I would have loved to have done this. I would have loved to have done that. You can't do that. You know, like even my brother, you know, I love him to bits, but his advice was stick with the day job, get your, get your pension, you know, get a, a decent amount of money in the bank and you can do your photography, you know, as a, as a part-time thing, which you can. I mean, that's, that's definitely the way to do it if that, if that's what you prefer. But I just felt as though, you know, the money became very secondary. And for me, it was more about just not wasting this life that we've got and, and of course, I mean, you mentioned as well, within six months, I, I left the old day job within six months, found out that I got that brain tumor and it, it kind of, you know, although it would have been nice to have had that and done all of the, um, you know, got, got myself back to health with a, you know, with, with a, a company behind me paying me for the, for the time I was off. Instead, I'm like, I'm earning zi- Zippo, but, um, I, I wouldn't have changed that either. You know, I was able to to do things on my own terms, and I I just think you know, there's like you say, life's too short to be doing stuff that you don't want to be doing. Um, get out there and and give it a try. If you've you know, I, I'm I'm also I'm going to contradict myself a little bit here as well because you know you definitely don't want to do stuff foolishly. You've got to make sure that you do the planning if possible. Set some get yourself some um, foundations laid while you're in the job. But as David was just saying, if it's sucking you dry, do it with a different job. You know, just just figure it, figure out a way to to make this work without having to do the thing that's sucking you dry, because yeah. that that'll and, hold you back. And, and you know what? I, if you haven't read Vision Mongers, which again, I apologize because I wrote the damn thing, but I, I I tried. I mean, I'm big on taking risks. I think you take risks regardless. You know, it's more yeah. about choosing the risks you're taking. Yeah. But. But vision mongers, I think, I mean, a lot of people have said, man, you, 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 it's like you're trying to convince people not to do this for a living. Oh, yeah. I, I totally agree. You need to go through the back door. Don't just, I'm just going to quit my day job. And I mean, that might actually be the path you need to take. I mean, Lord knows you'd be dealing with it if they fired you, which could happen. Mm. But it, in light of the fact that they might not fire you tomorrow, hang on to that job and that paycheck and start making decisions now about an easier way of transitioning. Mm. Um, that's absolutely for sure. The other thing, I, and I sense we're going to wrap up, Martin, but if I could leave uh, people that are listening with one resource, um, if you if you haven't read Crush It by Gary Vaynerchuk, get a hold of it and read it. If you haven't read The 4-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris, um, I'm going to re- recommend you read it with the caveat that I went into the bookstore 12 times to buy this on other people's recommendations. And I looked at the cover and went, oh, God. I'm going to hate this book. And I read the back and I read a few things by this guy and I was like, I'm going to hate this. And you know what? You might read it to cover to cover. You might hate some of it, but you will learn stuff. Yeah. He he has a really interesting perspective. He's he's a 
he's, in my opinion, he's a total game changer. He's living his dream in the way that he wants. I totally admire him for living life on his terms, but he's also very savvy and he's good at breaking uh, the rules. You know, there's a lot of rules out there that are rules for games we were never asked if we want to play and they should be broken. Play the game you want to play. This guy's really good at it and he's got a lot of really good advice. And I think it balances Gary Vaynerchuk's book really well because Gary Vaynerchuk is like, I'm going to answer every single email. Somebody sends me an email, I'm going to answer it. I'm like, dude, that's not sustainable. Like Mm -hmm. you're going to drive yourself into the grave. But at the same time, Timothy Ferris is like, you know what? I'm going to do whatever kind of business I have to. I'm going to work at it four hours a week. I'm going to make my money so that I can do things I love. Gary Vaynerchuk's reply to that is a little bit, well, you know what? Why don't you do the thing you love? Um, to make that money and then do the thing you love in your spare time. Mm. Um, so I think the two books together work really well and don't go and buy another, I mean, except vision mongers, of course, don't go <laughs> and buy another book, uh, buy another, another photographer about business, read it from people who are actually, you know, know what they're talking about. Cause a lot of even vision mongers, I tried to stay very clear from some of the things that I have no idea about and I myself go to other sources for. But anyway, those are the two resources I'm going to leave you with because I think they're valuable. Um, You don't have to agree with a book in order to learn from it. Uh, You don't even have to like the author, but I strongly recommend that you read those two um, because they'll balance each other out. Absolutely. And really, really good advice. I'll put links to this stuff in the in the show notes probably affiliate links <laughs> to Excellent. This well done. <laughs> in the show notes. And David, thanks so much. That was um, not only for me enlightening and inspiring, I'm, I'm sure the listeners are going to, are going to get a lot from this. So thanks so much for your time today. And, no, my uh, pleasure. Thank you. Uh, it really has been a pleasure. So hopefully we can, we can hook up again and, and talk again on the, the Martin Bailey and David Dushman Photography Podcast. Bow, chicka, bow, bow. <laughs> I love it. All right, really, thanks so much. Thanks a lot, Martin. Cheers, then. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Okay, so that's it. I hope you enjoyed this and the last podcast with David Dushman. It's been a, a lot of fun talking with David, as well as, of course, traveling with him in Hokkaido recently. And it's just great to have someone like that on the show. Note too that I'll put links to all of the key stuff we mentioned here in the show notes and they're on the blog with the, cl- with the quick link mbp.ac363 for episode 363. So thanks very much for listening today. Remember that you can find me on Google Plus and Twitter etc and links to everything that I'm up to are on the top page at martinbaileyphotography.com so do drop by and take a look. I'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, you take care and have a great week, whatever you're doing. Bye-bye.